The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to BGN Radio. Why would you listen to any other Eagles <laughs> podcast with John Stolness and Brandon Lee Gallup? Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to BGN Radio. This is episode number 54. I'm John Stolness from BleedingGreenNation.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. Coming up, we got a lot to get to here on episode number 54. We're going to get into OTAs a little bit. Uh, I know it started earlier this week, and uh, you heard uh, Brandon Lee Gowton and Michael Kist on uh, episode 53 give you the lowdown on what happened to the session that was open to the media, but we're going to talk a little bit more about that here coming up in just a minute. We're going to talk a little bit about Carson Wentz's health, the retirement of Chris Long, and we're going to rank the NFL coaches coming up a little bit later in the podcast. And here to do it with me, as he does every week here on BGN Radio, is my fellow guest in crime on the 94 WIP Morning Show uh, earlier this week, uh, the man behind BleedingGreenNation.com, Brandon Lee Gowton. You can follow him on Twitter at Brandon Gowton. BLG, man, we were on the we were on the WIP morning show the same morning, an hour apart earlier this week. That was pretty cool. That's pretty funny. Uh, big shout out to Rhea Hughes, you know, for setting yeah. that up. Thank Obviously, you, Rhea. Yes, she does, and uh, Angelo and the whole morning crew for having us on. Very appreciative of that. Very Always cool. great to give some takes on WIP morning show. <laughs> Obviously, a big deal. So, uh, yeah, that was cool, John. So I, I know you guys talked about uh, OTAs and you got into the, the the real meat of it a couple days ago on episode uh, 53 of BGN Radio, as I mentioned just a second ago. But uh, we're going to get into some uh, position battles and uh, some of the other things that you saw, some other thoughts that you didn't get to talk to Mike about. But uh, before we do any of that, we got to talk about start off the show with the Chris Long retirement announcement, BLG. I think we all knew that it was coming. Uh, the writing was on the wall that... Chris Long was not going to get the kind of playing time in Philadelphia that he was looking for, and he made it official on Twitter this week that he was retiring from the NFL. And so the first question is, um, do you believe him, BLG? Do you believe that he's actually going to stay retired? Is this for real? Do you think he's really done? I think we've seen the last of Chris Long Barring some kind of injuries to the Eagles' defensive end rotation, something like where, God forbid, this happens, but if Derek Barnett and or Brandon Graham and or Vinnie Curry get hurt, I think then the Eagles kind of coming to Chris Long and being like, hey, you know, we need you. And all of a sudden, you know, we have playing time available for you. And I don't think it's impossible that Chris Long is going to keep himself in game shape in, in, the, in the event of that scenario. Because, you know, the Eagles put Chris Long on the reserve retired list, which means like his contract still exists. He's not going to get paid it because yeah, he's on the reserve list, doesn't count against the Eagles cap right now. 
you know, but if he wanted to be activated and the Eagles activated him, like they could bring him back. So that's an option for them. But I think that's kind of break glass in case of emergency kind of deal. You know, I don't think he's going to be back right. otherwise. And that's a bummer, man, because Chris Long was still really good. He was top six. I think he was six overall among Ed's rushers last year in quarterback hits. Like he was still getting pressure. I think back to the week 16 Texans game where he had a big strip sack in that game. And I remember seeing him put the ski mask on and get the crowd fired up at the link. Like he was still a big contributor for this team going down the stretch and to lose him and Michael Bennett in the same off season, like that's just tough. Like the Eagles won the Super Bowl because in part because they had a defensive line that generated more pressure than any other team in the NFL. And obviously their defensive ends are a big part of that. And I know Michael Bennett wasn't here for that, but again, they were really good last year also because they had a really good pass rush and to lose Michael Bennett and to not have Chris Long. And by the way, you know, back when the Eagles traded Michael Bennett, my thinking was that in part the trade was because it would free up some more time for Chris Long and the Eagles wouldn't trade Michael Bennett unless they knew Chris Long was going to come back. Apparently, you know, I was wrong about that. <laughs> so uh, it's just kind of a concern right now looking at that spot. Do you, how do you think the whole thing with Vinny Curry signing and Chris Long deciding to retire went down? Because it certainly seemed once Vinny Curry signed that there was not going to be a role for Chris Long in this defense. But did they sign Vinny Curry because they didn't know whether or not Chris Long was going to retire? I mean, if Chris Long had said to them, hey, if, I, if I'm defensive end three, then I'm coming back. Or if I'm getting a certain number of snaps, then that I'm coming back, but that the Eagles just decided that they wanted to go with Vinnie Curry instead, that they, they wanted to get uh, a little bit younger and, and get Josh Sweat more reps or something. You know what I mean? Like, how did this all come about? Because you're right, he is still a pretty productive player, and it doesn't seem as though Vinnie Curry as a replacement for Chris Long is going to give you the production that Long gave you at least the last couple of years. I think the Eagles signed Vinnie Curry knowing that Chris Long probably wasn't going to be back. And I think I believe that because Chris Long, as far back as his really his like exit interview with the media, like the day after locker room cleanout day back in January, a couple of days after they lost to the Saints, he was already talking about that role thing. And it almost seemed like maybe there was a conversation with the Eagles that kind of had prompted that to be in Chris Long's mind. You know, he said on Twitter back in March or whenever it was that the Eagles explicitly told him, Chris Long, that he wasn't going to have the same role as last year. So I'm guessing that conversation happened earlier in the offseason. And I would guess, you know, they didn't really expect to have him back. I don't, I don't think they saw it as the most likely option. And I think with, you know, having Vinny Curry here, I think some people are sleeping on him a little bit too much. He can help this team, you know. They, he was a starting, he was a, a starting defensive end for this team when they won the Super Bowl. So, like, he's not chopped liver. I don't think he's a superstar, mm -hmm. but I think people look at his production from last year, which admittedly wasn't very good. But, but also, apparently, he was playing through like a high ankle sprain all year. Um, so you get him back healthy. I think he can be a valuable member of this pass rush rotation. I feel pretty good about the Eagles' top three guys, assuming they're healthy. I, and I, I know Brandon Graham is coming off of a not the most productive season either. But again, he came into the season with an ankle injury that he had surgery on in May. Like that's not a common occurrence. That was a really late surgery because of the Super Bowl and everything that kind of happened after that. So I think Brandon Graham will be healthier. I think Vinnie Curry will be healthier. Now these guys are older, so you also have to account for decline. Mm -hmm. But I think pass rushers in general in today's NFL have been playing longer. I mean, you look at Cameron Wake. I think he's like 37, 38. He's still playing. 
So I think some of these guys uh, can age and be okay. And then obviously there's a lot of pressure on Derek Barnett heading into year three. Like the Eagles are putting a lot of eggs into the Derek Barnett basket. And I think there's reason to do that because, you know, you drafted him in the first round. You believe in him. He's shown improvement. He's shown potential. He's still only 22 years old. He's turning 23 this offseason. There's a lot of to be excited about there. But beyond that, it's just kind of like, what do the Eagles have beyond those three guys? Even if your your case is that, well, they don't really need that fourth defensive end as much because they can rely on their top three guys and they can have more of a presence with the interior rushers like Malik Jackson and Timmy Jernigan. So you don't have to put Brandon Graham or these defensive ends on the inside. And okay, like I, I get that to some extent, but what happens again if one of those guys gets hurt and let's say Chris Long isn't re-signed? Well, all of a sudden now is like Josh Sweat your third best defensive end? Like I don't feel good about that. I don't think anyone should feel good about it. How could you feel good about that? Uh, even if you love right. his potential, and I like Josh Sweat's potential in theory, He's still a big injury concern. Like that knee is a big reason why he fell to the fourth round in the NFL draft. And then last year he couldn't stay healthy. So there's just a lot of question marks there uh, after those top three guys. And maybe some of these younger guys, like even like a Deshaun Hall, who I'm kind of interested to see this offseason, kind of coming out of nowhere, dark horse guy to watch. They, They have some intriguing guys and that's nice and good and well, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Like that potential could easily go unfulfilled. And then you're entering entering the season with just not the certainty you want at such a vital position for this team. Would you say that defensive end edge rusher is the weakest position on the Eagles defense right now? So there's factors to consider here. If you're just going by the starters, you know, like Derek Barnett and Brandon Graham, it's hard to say that it's the weakest because I think those are two pretty good players there. And I think you could say the uncertainty at corner. That's a, that's a bigger weakness because you don't even know who's starting there and there's a lot of question marks and injury concerns. But if you're accounting for depth, I guess, yeah, and, and the importance of position, I don't know that it's like the worst or the, the weakest. I think it's just the biggest concern in terms of importance of that position to this team and their success, like the uncertainty behind the top three guys. I think that's fair. There is a lot of uncertainty there, especially with DE4. And Ben Solak has an excellent piece at BleedingGreenNation.com you should check out. Uh, where he really dove into how much DE4's play in Jim Schwartz's defense. And last year, it was, like, it, was, it was tough to get a real good sense of it with Derek Barnett getting hurt. They had to do a lot of mixing and matching last year, and it was hard to identify exactly who DE4 was a lot of times. But it's a very important part of the defense that needs to be tended now that uh, Chris Long is not going to be back next year. I did find one thing interesting, that if the Eagles did want to go out and get themselves uh, another quality player for the defensive end as an edge rusher, Uh, The Athletic listed the Eagles as one of five teams who are potential trade partners if the Texans move Jadavian Clowney. Obviously, Jadavian Clowney has all the talent in the world. We saw that when he came into Philadelphia this year with the Texans and was very disruptive. I mean, yeah. he's he's a he's a monster. I mean, it would obviously help the the defensive end uh, position. It would help the Eagles' pass rush immensely. So, what are the pros and cons of trying to trade for Jadavian Clowney? And just to be clear here, you know, Shil Kapadia, friend of the podcast, obviously, for this athletic article, he wasn't reporting anything. It was just totally speculation. 
throwing stuff out there and seeing what could logically maybe make sense. So you can see where it kind of makes sense, you know, just in the sense the Eagles need yeah. help at defensive end and Howie Roseman's very aggressive and the Eagles have $27 million in cap space to work with. You can kind of, you know, piece these things together and try to make the argument for it, which is what Shield ultimately did. And he also said it's not realistic, and I agree with him. I don't think it's realistic because I think the Eagles are holding on to that cap space, largely in part to pay Carson Wentz. And I don't think you're just, you know, holding on to that to get another talent like uh, that's some, someone that's out there, like a Clowney. And it'd be great to have Davion Clowney, not just for one year, which you would have them for now. That's and that's part of the problem here. Not only are you trading a valuable asset for him, but then you have to pay him big money. You know, pass rushers get big, big money. So you have to pay him a ton of money. A good problem to have in the sense that the player is probably worth it. And I love it in theory. That's not only, again, a good move for this year, but the considerable future because he's still like, what, 25, 26? Like he could be a key piece for this team for um, a long time. I just don't think it's realistic ultimately. I think the price would probably be more than what the Eagles would want to pay. I would think the Texans want like at least the first. This is the number one overall pick, right? Like back in what, 2014 or whatever it was. So like that matters. I think in these kinds of deals, like you're not just going to get that guy on the cheap because the DM is going to be like, yeah, this guy was the number one overall pick. Like we're not giving to you him to you for you know, a third in Big V. That's not how that's going to work. I don't think it gets done ultimately, but man, I'd love to be wrong about that. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, and I don't know why the Texans would want to trade him at this point. I mean, they have aspirations of making the playoffs, don't they, with Deshaun Watson at quarterback? And I mean, I know that's not a perfect team. It's it's interesting that that that's even kind of in the ether out there. But as Shale mentions, it's not an official report or anything, just kind of speculation on his part. Kind of fun to think about Clowney in an Eagles uniform, but I'm, I'm with you, BLG. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially with that cap space. You're talking about Carson Wentz's contract. There's also the Malcolm Jenkins uh, issue, whether or not they're going to give Malcolm guaranteed money here uh, over the next uh, couple years of his deal. And that would, of course, eat into cap money this year more than likely as well. We talked about um, the position battles uh, for defensive end four there, BLG, and uh, obviously you were at uh, the OTA practice on Tuesday that was uh, open to the press and uh, got to see Carson in action, got to see Deshaun Jackson in action, got to see everybody basically out there uh, getting their hit on and uh, running around and um, I know, like I said, on episode 53, you and Michael Kiss talked about your initial reaction, so everybody make sure to check that podcast out after you listen to this one. Did you have any other OTA thoughts uh, that you didn't get a chance to mention to Michael, or as you thought about it the last couple days, maybe uh, some, some other thoughts have kind of percolated in your mind from uh, the opening day of OTAs? Yeah, I mean, just the biggest thing that I took away again was Carson Wentz ultimately just looking good out there. Not even that he had his best practice that I've ever seen. He's, he certainly looked sharper to me before in practice, but just the fact that he's out there and there's no knee brace on. And there's no even real, there's no real, like, everyone's analyzing every every like movement he makes in the sense of the scope of injury like there was last year. It's just, it's not that same kind of thing where I remember the first day of OTAs in 2018, we were all kind of just, like, you know, watching every single thing he did, every single movement he made, and then writing about it afterwards about how, you know, he, he wasn't a full participant in practice last year on the first day, but he was getting some work done. And, you know, just all the analysis of everything he was doing. I mean, it's, he's, that's attention's always going to be on Carson Wentz, and rightfully so. Uh, the team is going to go as far as he does. But it just it felt more normal. Like, that didn't feel normal last year. It just felt more normal this year. Like, he's in place. He's the number one starter. I mean, last year, Carson Wentz was taking, like, 
fourth string reps because he wasn't taking as many and you know they were just working him in sparingly last year so that was that was just weird to see that last year and now it's more normal more traditional setup so that's good um, a couple other quick things were just that, like, Avante Maddox and Dallas Goddard are just so good. Like, they, they look to me even better than they did last year early on. Like, you have to get those guys on the field. I think the unique thing with both of them is that there's no, like, clear, necessarily, like, easy. It's not as simple as, like, this guy starts here. Like, it's not that simple. But you have to figure it out. Like, you have to find a way to get Avante Maddox on the field because I feel like he's going to make plays. And the same thing with Dallas Goddard. Like, we need to see a lot of 12 personnel this year. He is too good for, for this team to not have him out there. And I think adding Deshaun Jackson is only going to help those tight ends when it comes to spacing the field and opening things up underneath. And that's another big thing, obviously, just having Deshaun there, too. And I mentioned this when I was talking with Mike. It's just such a surreal sight, just the fact that, like, he's back. You know, all this right. stuff happened yeah. in the meantime since the last time he was here. But it's it's awesome, too, to have him back here. And uh, I think he's going to make such a big difference for this team. And I, I almost feel like we, like, collectively, everyone kind of, like, forgets how big of a deal that could potentially be. I mean, just to have a guy for the first time, really, ever, in Carson Wentz's career, who can be like an elite deep threat. Now, you know, Torrey Smith had that capability and he did it every once in a while. And they brought in Mike Wallace last year, but he didn't really play. The fact that Carson Wentz has this guy who literally led the NFL in yards per reception last year with Deshaun, that's a huge deal. And I can't wait to see those two connect because that's going to be really exciting. So, you know, not, not too much new, I guess, overall from what I saw out there on Tuesday, but they'll have another practice this Tuesday and, you know, we'll get to to glean some more from that. I mean, it's kind of funny when you look back on these off-season practice, uh, like the meaning of these, because sometimes they're just so meaningless. So you look at like Devontae Bosby last year, just killing it in spring practice. Ultimately, didn't mean right. anything. I mean, it, <laughs> it meant something in the sense that he took his good spring practice and he, he went from being like guy who everyone thought wasn't even going to make the team and no one even knew to like he parlayed a good spring into competing for the nickel spot and he had a legitimate chance to take that nickel spot but ultimately you know it was taken by Sidney Jones so he lost it and he, he played himself out of it in training camp and then I think back to to when like Jalen Mills and Ronald Darby were playing well last offseason in training camp and practice and stuff and again it just didn't mean as much when you saw them struggle early in the season so it's hard to know always what to make out of things. I don't think they're totally meaningless because I think you look at the progress from Goddard and Maddox and you can see like these players have made improvement and you feel like, okay, again, like they're, they're ready to make that next leap. And you see it as a logical progression of, you know, they're a rookie and now they're a lot of players make that leap from year one to year two, having that full off season for the first time, as opposed to, you know, when yeah. you're a rookie, you're preparing for the draft. You've like a billion things going on. You're trying to learn the playbook. You know, you're just, it's hard. It's not the same thing as, okay, you have a full year under your belt. You're going to have this whole offseason in the offseason program to, to do strength training and to be around the team and to, to have the playbook mastered. And I just think that's going to make a big difference for those guys. Let's look at a couple other different position battles here, BLG, uh, that will shape up over really more in training camp as opposed to anything before then. But uh, well, let's look at wide receiver four. And I think uh, you wrote an interesting piece for, for BleedingGreenNation.com this week. And by the way, for, for everything OTAs and for all the latest Eagles news, make sure you continue to go to BleedingGreenNation.com multiple times a day so you get updated on everything that's happening. Um, and you wrote a piece about Mac Hollins where the, and where the heck Matt, Mac Hollins has gone because there's going to be a battle shaping up, it appears, for wide receiver four between Mac Hollins and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, isn't there? 
Yeah, I'm really interested to see where Matt Collins is in the world. <laughs> I don't, I don't know where he is. I, I mean, he's in Philly. I do know that, but I don't like. Like, why is he not playing? Why is he not practicing yet? He had surgery, presumably like 15 months ago or so, last year at some point. You know, for Doug Peterson to be saying in his press conference prior to Tuesday's practice that like Matt Collins is still recovering. Like, I was shocked when he said that. I was like, what? Like, really? Did Doug misspeak there? And he didn't. And it's not even like Matt Collins is even out there in the practice field, like in a jersey and not doing anything and watching from the sidelines. Like, I didn't even see him at all. So it's it's really bizarre. I have no idea like what is going on there. There's been no clarity. And people have tried to ask, but there's just been no really good resolution to what that is. And it's disappointing because I thought Matt Collins showed good potential as a rookie in 2017. He had a really nice opportunity to step up last offseason with Alshon Jeffrey missing practice time and Matt Collins getting all those first team reps. You know, then he suddenly starts missing time after playing in the first preseason game. And then I think it was the Monday before the Thursday night week one game where he missed practice. But after practice, he said he was going to play. And then literally the next day, Doug Peterson said he had, quote unquote, a minor setback. And then two days later on Thursday itself, like hours before the Falcons game, they put him on IR and then he didn't play the whole rest of the season. And now he's still missing time. So like this thing is so bizarre. It's really weird. I don't even know if Matt Collins makes the team this year, John. Like I hope he does. Well, sure. Yeah. But I don't know. Like how, how am I supposed to know that? Because like, I don't know when he's going to be healthy and I don't know that. No, I think he's going to make the team if he can get healthy. Just be, even just because I think his special teams, profile alone will help him stick on the roster but like the competition he has isn't like necessarily a bunch of pushovers like you have Braxton Miller who was on the practice squad all last year you have Shelton Gibson who is uh you know he spent time on the team for the past couple years now and he hasn't had health issues for the most part and you have uh Charles Johnson who is an established NFL wide receiver and can help out on special teams like these are guys who in theory at the very least can compete with Matt Collins and then the guy you mentioned John JJ Arcega Whiteside that guy could overtake Matt Collins role in the offense not as a guy you know it's not like Matt Collins is ever going to be this featured guy but still he could be a role player and that playing time could easily go to JJ instead so I have no idea what's going on with Matt Collins I don't think anyone does there's been no answer I really hope, you know, he ends up being okay here and he comes back sooner rather than later and we see him and he's practicing and he's fine because that would be very nice for everyone. But I just like, how am I supposed to count on that? Absolutely. And at running back four, it looks like there's an interesting uh, battle shaping up. Uh, Wendell Smallwood, Danelle Pumphrey, Josh Adams, all guys who will be battling for a running back position where you're probably not going to see a whole lot of carries <laughs> or catches out of the backfield. Uh, obviously, Jordan Howard, Miles Sanders, and Corey Clement, if Clement is healthy, are expected to be the top three running backs part of that rotation. But obviously, there's a job to be won there at running back for BLG. For my money, I got to think Wendell Smallwood probably has the uh, the upper hand as things stand right now. But, um, you know, we've seen Pumphrey kind of back there working on, as a punt returner. And uh, Josh Adams, obviously, is a guy who... Uh, was the team's leading rusher last year. So let's talk about these three guys, about running back four. Which one do you think has the edge, or do you think maybe somebody else might? Yeah, I would say right now it's Wendell Smallwood just because the team has shown they like him in the past, and it feels like he's going to be here forever. Wendell Smallwood is a perfectly acceptable running back four. He can play special teams. Uh, he's not 
anything special as a runner, but like you could do worse. He, in theory, at least has some kind of receiving ability. Like, he's not going to make guys miss, but like he can, he can take what's there. He actually did a good job and better than I expected of being able to fight through contact last year. We saw that at times when he would not so much make people miss, but actually kind of just power through people or get in like a pile and keep his legs going. So like, that's fine as a running back four. I think he's probably the guy. Donald Pumphrey might try to give him a run for his money. Uh, he probably can't stay healthy, and I'm not going to assume that that's the case. But I liked what I saw at a pump on the first day of OTAs. He's showing a little bit of that juice again. I don't expect oh, it Don't let last. Ben Solak hear you say that. Well, he, Ben gave up on Donald Pumphrey. Uh, Boston Scott is it's his guy now, and Boston Scott has some juice too. <laughs> I, just, I just think those guys, um, they're in the mix. I think it's it'll be interesting to see how they perform in preseason. And, and if you know, like one of those guys kills it in the preseason and the training camp, practices like they can easily step up and seize that job and ultimately it doesn't really matter a lot because that guy's probably not going to be playing hopefully not going to be playing because hopefully Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders and even Corey Clement who is still working his way back from injury can kind of tear it up and maybe that's why um, you keep a window smallwood especially because like you know you can count on him to fill in if Corey Clement is going to take some time to get back early in the season we'll see how his recovery goes but yeah I don't think it matters a whole ton ultimately who they keep at that spot. I will say that I don't think it's going to be Josh Adams. And that's pretty funny just considering he led the team in rushing last year. You know, he ended up having this bigger role down the stretch for a little bit there. But uh, Adams isn't practicing right now. He's still recovering from a shoulder surgery. And he said he's not going to be ready until training camp. That's not the end of the world for him in the sense that, you know, maybe if he has a really good training camp and, and preseason, he can kind of find a way to stick on the team. Once again, but, you know, I'm not counting on that. I don't think it's likely. I think the fact that he's missing time and he missed actually all of last spring, too, uh, doesn't really help him in that he could be going out there right now and trying to prove himself and, and try to doing a better job of fighting to make this roster by actually being out there on the practice field. But it sounds like we won't be seeing him till later. So, you know, not shocking at all if the guy who actually led the team in rushing last year doesn't even make the team this year. Well, up next, we're going to talk a little bit about Carson Wentz's health. He had some things to say about that this week and a little bit about the backup quarterback situation. Uh, and later on, we're going to rank the NFL coaches uh, based off of a sporting news uh, article that made a lot of people rightfully mad. That's all up next right here on BGN Radio. And we're back on BGN Radio. So, BLG, you mentioned Carson Wentz a little bit at the top of the podcast when you were talking about uh, OTAs and uh, looking at Carson without his knee brace on. He was moving around pretty good out there. Um, Obviously, he's shaking the rust off. But um, you also talked about on episode 53 with Michael his demeanor, and and we've talked about it on this podcast, how it just seemed like the weight of the world was on his shoulders last year. There was all this pressure with getting back in a hurry from his knee injury and wanting to follow up the Super Bowl by getting back to the playoffs himself and basically trying to redo what Nick Foles did and playing in Nick Foles' shadow and all that. What is your confidence level right now with the injuries Carson has suffered in his career, with his knee injury and with a back injury where we still don't know exactly how it happened, when it happened, where it happened or anything like that. Lots of talk about Carson Wentz being a brittle quarterback, worry about him being an injury-prone quarterback. What is your confidence level that Carson Wentz will emerge unscathed in 2019? And and I'll put it a different way. What is your over-under on how many games he misses in 2019? Yeah, we don't even know if he's fully healthy in terms of the back. Like, we didn't get a straight answer on if if that's fully recovered. I mean, he wasn't missing true. He wasn't missing practice time, so we can't say that he isn't. But they weren't like, yes, 
the back is not an issue. You know, there was no straight answer. And he didn't seem limited, you know, from what I saw. So I'm not, I didn't say I, I saw something to suggest it was an issue. But to answer your question, John, it's really something that I just don't think about. And maybe I'm irresponsible and maybe that's naive of me. But like, why am I going to spend all this time assuming he gets hurt? Like, it's just to me, it's just as possible that he could play 16 games like he did in 2016. Like, it's not that impossible to me. I think part of Carson's injury situation has just been unlucky. You know, he dives for the goal line in L.A., two guys happen to combine at the same time and his knee explodes or which we still don't even know, it happened on his way running into the end zone. So, like, and if that's the case, that's just bad luck. Like, what's Carson Wentz supposed to bad do? Luck. Never run? Like, I don't know. Like, what do you want? Like, what do you want him to do? And I think last year with the with the back, you know, we don't know for sure if that was tied to the ACL, but it certainly felt to me that it's possible or just that, you know, just coming off of that whole season in or coming off of the shortened off season in the sense that, you know, he didn't have the full time to recover he didn't have the full offseason of reps. Like, it just never felt like he just had all that time to prepare for 2018. It just felt kind of like short-circuited in a way. He never had a chance to like full... What I'm trying to say here is that he never had a chance to like fully get healthy from the 2017 injury. And I think he has that now. And I think that could be a big deal for him. But I feel like Carson Wentz is going to stay healthy. I'm going to put the over-under at one and a half games. That's exactly where I had it. Because I agree with you. Totally. I think that so much of his injury issues have been bad luck. I think there's no reason to believe, and he's talked about wanting to to eat better and, and, to, and to sleep better and to really improve that area of himself. And I, I don't know that that's going to help him avoid an injury like an ACL tear or something like that, but that can help him be more energetic for, for, game, for, for game day. It can help his body recover more quickly from maybe a nagging soft tissue injury or something like that. Or, or you know, who knows? I mean, the Eagles are, have always been really big since ever, ever since Chip Kelly got there about uh, nutrition and, and sleep and all that stuff. And so uh, I think that's, I, I think that's a, uh, a good thing for him to do. And I, I think he's going to be healthy for most of 2019 as well. But that doesn't mean, BLG, that I'm not a little bit concerned about the backup quarterback position. I know we like Nate Studfeld. We think he's got the chance to be a pretty good backup quarterback in this league. But we do have a quarterback that has been hurt the last couple of years. And if Carson Wentz goes down, how many games can the Eagles survive with Nate Sudfeld starting? You know what I mean? Like, how many Nate Sudfeld starts will it take to kill a potential playoff season? So the way I think about it is that and trying to measure the value of a backup quarterback is that, like, what if he has to start for one quarter of the season? So let's say four games. To me... If your backup quarterback can get you to two and two, you know, at least at least two wins in those four games, I, I think that's what you want. You're pretty solid with that. Like you feel pretty good about that if that's the case. And to me, I ask myself, you know, can Nate Sudfeld get there? Can he get to that two and two? And I think he can. I think I've seen enough from him in practices in the preseason to know that he has good moments. Now there are also downs, and I think that's what ultimately prevents him from being starter some would say he is already elite which is really an interesting thing to say i would not agree <laughs> for as much as i like nate sudfeld <laughs> no. um yeah so i think that's kind of where he is i think he can get you to that I, again i've seen enough nfl ability from him to believe he can get there you know if he it's now 
you know, if those four games are in the playoffs, I don't think that's the same thing. I'm, I'm talking about regular season. I don't think Sudfeld is so good, you know, that you're going to win a Super Bowl if he has to play there and Carson Wentz isn't healthy. I don't think he's quite there. Guess what? Like, that's the case with most backups in the NFL. You know, most starters aren't good enough in the NFL to get you to the Super Bowl. The backups probably aren't going to be either. And I think that's kind of where the Eagles are. And I think that's fine. I think they're, I don't think they made a mistake by not going after a veteran. I mean, it would have been great to get Ryan Fitzpatrick, but I'm guessing Ryan Fitzpatrick didn't want to come here considering that he's going to Miami and he's probably going to be the starter there, at least for, at least he has a chance to compete for the starting job uh, with Josh Rosen and what they have going on there. Well, as opposed to here, you know, he's definitely just the backup at best. So uh, I think Sudfeld, there's enough reason to believe, you know, he can be that solid number two and he can he can help keep the season alive. You know, let's say if Carson Wentz has to miss a month, I think he can absolutely do that. He's not going to carry the team, um, but I think he can, you know, he can help keep the season on life support while you wait to get Carson Wentz back. BLG, I have a take. Okay, let's hear it. You ready for it? All right. I think that the Eagles didn't go after a more high-profile backup quarterback this offseason because they want Carson Wentz to know that this is his team getting out of the shadow of Nick Foles, that that this is his baby for him to not have to look at the sidelines, look over his shoulder in the 2019 season. I think they have confidence in him. I think that's very true. I think that's all part of it. But I think part of the reason they didn't go get a, a legitimate veteran backup quarterback is that they didn't want Carson Wentz to have another Nick Foles situation where he's looking over his shoulder. Well, if I, if I play poorly in a couple of games, are they going to bring in the other guy? Maybe that's kind of like, you know, shooting yourself in the foot for, for no reason whatsoever if you're the Eagles. I mean, that obviously, you're, I think you have a better chance of winning games the more good players you have on your team, and you probably don't sabotage a position just to make somebody feel better but in this case I don't know I think I think maybe that was part of the reason why we are seeing Nate Sudfeld as the backup quarterback because there's no danger in the Eagles choosing him over Carson Wentz yeah and I think that's honestly how Carson like you could sense that how he was feeling on Tuesday I feel like is in part Uh, yeah like just more comfortable and the fact that there isn't Nick Foles there but you know he and he doesn't have to look over his shoulder I don't think it's the main motivation. They didn't sign someone. I think they, I think, you know, I think we, we know they like Sudfeld. They've claimed him back in 2017 and they've spent now uh, multiple years developing him. This will be Sudfeld's second full offseason in the uh, the team program. And he'll get all the second team reps once again for the second year in a row. Kind of with Carson Wentz missing time, obviously last year as well. So I think they feel good about him and where he's at. For Carson to not have that pressure, I agree with you, John. Uh, might be a good thing for him. Might be a healthy thing for him. Uh, just you know to to get in a good mindset where he can just kind of focus on getting back to normal. Because last situation or last year's situation, uh, just it wasn't a normal situation. Not only just because of the injury, because of the Foles factor and everything. And I think again, just going back to what I said earlier, like that was just one of the biggest takeaways from. Tuesday's practice it was just it was more normal there was no kind of weird dynamic like there was last year and hopefully that helps lead to success for Carson Wentz well up next we're going to talk about NFL coaches and which are the best in the league thanks to a sporting news uh, piece that uh, has gotten everybody in Philadelphia mad and for very good reason we'll get into our best coaches in the NFL up next here on BGN Radio And we're back on BGN Radio. So uh, BLG, the Sporting News, put out a piece on Thursday morning in which they put out their ranking of NFL coaches. Let me just read the list first, and then I want to get your reaction. We'll both react to it because I think we both uh, had a similar reaction when we first saw it. Number one, Bill Belichick. Number two, Sean McVay. 
Number three, Sean Payton. Number four, Andy Reid. Number five, Pete Carroll. Number six, John Harbaugh. Oh, hi, there you are, Doug Peterson. All the way down at number seven. Number eight, Mike Tomlin. Number nine, Anthony Lynn. And number 10, Frank Reich. By the way, Doug Peterson was number two on this list after winning the Super Bowl. And somehow, after getting within a pass that went through Alshon Jeffrey's hands in the NFC Divisional game with a roster that was the second most injured in football last year, he went down five places blg oh boy sean mcveigh huh we're doing this again i know <laughs> uh, it's crazy I, I, I mean when's this gonna stop this madness the mcveigh the cult of mcveigh at the expense of doug peterson is absolutely driving me crazy blg i i legitimately think people forgot earlier this offseason that sean mcveigh and his offense now this guy being a genius by the way people being touted genius. as a genius literally an entire NFL hiring cycle of head coaches trying to find who's the next Sean McVay. The Arizona Cardinals literally put in their write-up of hiring Cliff Kingsbury that he is friends with, quote-unquote, offensive genius Sean McVay. Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. You're, de- you're calling yeah. your division rival's head coach an offensive genius. Uh, uh, for a guy who – now, this was before the Super Bowl – Still, like a guy who hadn't even, so I guess he hadn't even won a playoff game at that point. Like, are you kidding me? What is this? Where does this come from? I, I really don't understand why Sean McVay gets all this hype. I really don't understand how you could rank him above Doug Peterson. It's just rankings are arbitrary and things are like it, it doesn't always mean a lot. And it's it can be hard to figure out um, when there aren't always head-to-head comparisons. But guess what? There is a head-to-head comparison for Sean McVay and Doug Peterson. I know. He's literally 0-2 against Doug Peterson. And by the way, he scored 40 – well, Sean McVay, I should say, scored three points against the Patriots in the Super Bowl and lost, while Doug Peterson scored 41 points in the Super Bowl and won. And it's not just a results – over-processed kind of thing here. And to be clear here, I think Sean McVay is a good coach. I don't think he's a bad coach by any means. Yeah, he's fine. He's bad. Very good coach. He's good. He's not a great coach. He's not above Doug Peterson. And part of it is because he's a coward. He's a coward. Think back to the times last yep. year in the Super Bowl and even in the Saints game where he has a chance to like put the nail in the coffin or be really aggressive, take a, a good calculated risk, and he doesn't does like the old school and that's the crazy thing about like calling you know sean mcveigh this revolutionary and oh he's so young well guess what he doesn't coach like he's very young he coaches like he's an old you know one of these old um you know guys set in their ways and like oh you, you can't possibly go for it on fourth down as much as these this new wave thinking what is that how is this guy getting all of the attention and all of the credit it's it's so ridiculous because doug peterson is the guy teams should be trying to find the fact that the Eagles, again, you kind of hit on it there, John, had the second most injured roster this past season, and then they were 13th in terms of adjusted games lost in 2017, while like the Rams were the healthiest team in 2017. They were the fourth healthiest team last year. Like The, the Rams have had no adversity in terms of injuries. McVay has gotten off very lucky in that regard. I would love to see him. I mean, I don't want anyone to get hurt, obviously. I'm not rooting for that, but I'm, I, like, I would love to see how he handles adversity because he hasn't had to do that. And I think that's a big part of being a head coach. And Doug Peterson has proven he can do that. And Sean McVay has had very smooth sailing to this point. So I'm very interested to see when Ish hits the fan for him here and he has to deal with that. I have a theory as to why McVay over Peterson 
gets so much more hype. I think there is still a stigma in the minds of people who cover the sport of Doug Peterson as the backup quarterback, the hapless backup quarterback to Brett Favre, to you know the guy who basically was, was holding down the job for Donovan McNabb in McNabb's rookie season until he was able to take over. I mean, we all everybody knew that Peterson wasn't was a starting quarterback in name only, and he's been his whole career as a backup quarterback. He never really had any of his own individual success as a player on the field. And I'm not trying to knock Doug Peterson. This is he was a backup quarterback in the league for a long time, and he used that to become a very good head coach to to learn how an offense works at the hand of Mike Holmgren and, and Andy Reid and all those different guys. But the reason I say that is I think people still see that. When they look at Doug Peterson, they see his all shucks smile and his personality. And Doug has a little bit of a gruff side. You know, we've seen him get testy with reporters. But generally speaking, I think Doug's Doug's not a flashy guy. He's a nice guy who knows his football. And you look at Sean McVay. Sean McVay's he's a young coach. He's a good-looking guy. He's got a model girlfriend. He coaches in Los Angeles. He's got an offense that I think it's a little bit maybe flashier than the Eagles' offense, especially early last year when they were putting up an insane amount of points. But when you look at the results... Doug Peterson is 2-0 and against him in his career. Like you mentioned, Doug Peterson has won a Super Bowl. They've both been to one. Doug Peterson has won the Super Bowl. They played the same team in the Super Bowl. And not only did Sean McVay's team lose the Super Bowl, they scored three points in that game. I mean, it was one of the worst offensive performances in Super Bowl history. It was the worst. So... The worst, yes, the worst performance, offensive performance in Super Bowl history. And like you mentioned, I, I think there is that um, that physical difference between the two that in people's minds, they see a young, flashy Sean McVay with an offense who looked flashier at times last year, and they ignore the results. They they ignore the overall. How did, how did these players perform? You know, the, the Eagles won a Super Bowl. I just don't understand how Doug Peterson gets moved down five spots given everything that happened. And I guess the sporting news, they don't know the ins and outs of what's going on with the Eagles like we do. The Super Bowl hangover. The, you know, people forget Carson Wentz didn't start until week three. They didn't have Alshon Jeffrey till week four. That basically, like you have said on this podcast in, in, in the past, the 2017 season never really ended. It just rolled right into 2018. And I know I said this in a couple of, uh, a couple of podcasts ago. I think a very similar thing is going to happen to the Los Angeles Rams here in 2019. That Super Bowl hangover is real, especially for teams that lose the Super Bowl. And I don't think the Rams are going to make the playoffs. I think you're going to see the bloom come off the rose of Sean McVay a little bit here. And I don't say that with glee in my heart, maybe just a little bit. just But only because I want the rest of the league and the rest of the people covering the league to wake up. Yeah, I'm I'm just over there, it. I feel better. I'm over it, John. I'm uh I'm over the Sean McVay stuff. I, I just don't understand it. I, I just don't understand yeah. how the media is just so in love with him. And, and then like meanwhile, Doug Peterson's just chopped liver. Like it's like, what are we doing? Like are you not pay- I guess people aren't paying attention. And whatever. I'd rather have Doug and I think they're fooled. The I just think I think they're fooled, BLG. They're tricked. They're tricked into seeing the flashier thing and thinking it's better. I don't know. I mean, we'll see this year. I mean, these guys, I think this is great that the Eagles have a full offseason to get themselves ready, get themselves together. They've got a great set of offensive skill players, and the, and the offensive line, if it stays healthy, should be really good. Uh, and like I said, I think I think the Rams take a step back here in 2019 in what should be a better division in 2019. But looking over some of these other rankings here, BLG, obviously nobody can argue that Belichick is number one on this list, and the gap between Belichick and everybody else is enormous. I think having Mike Tomlin in the top 10 at this point 
is a little bit silly. He he's definitely ha- he definitely has success. I don't know that he's top ten anymore. With the way that team has fallen apart the last few years, all of the turmoil in that locker room, I would probably move Matt Nagy up into the top ten. Maybe shift all those different guys up a spot and take Mike Tomlin out of the top ten at this point. I I don't see a lot of good coaching going on with the Pittsburgh Steelers the last few years. Yeah. So do you want to get into the top ten exactly here? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So because I had Tomlin at the bottom, but I don't really feel strongly about that. Like you, you could easily put Nagy in here for him. I actually had him at number nine. We're gonna go bottom up here. I mean, the Steelers have had obviously some success, and you look at kind of more of the long term. I don't really feel especially strong about Mike Tomlin. My bottom three here in the top 10, so eight, nine, and 10, didn't really feel super strongly about. I had Harbaugh, John Harbaugh at number eight, and I had mm-hmm. Tomlin at number nine. You could flip those, you could move them out for, again, like Nagy or mm-hmm. whoever you want who kind of is in that maybe 11 to 12 range. And I, I don't really care. Don't really have a strong opinion on that. <laughs> Although, my number 10, I feel like it's kind of a wild card. Let me throw this at you. Yeah. Bruce Arians, number 10 I in love my it. rankings. I, I love it. I thought I thought about Bruce Arians. I saw, I think he's number 15 on, on the Sporting News ranking. Yeah, I'm not like the biggest Bruce Arians guy either in terms of like, he's not my favorite person personally because like he's always like whining about the refs yeah. and everything. But I think he's actually, <laughs> he's a good coach. I mean, you look at his record overall and you look at how much the Cardinals fell apart without him last year. I mean, geez. So I think he's a pretty good football coach. And, and if anyone can fix Jameis Winston, and I don't think anyone can. I'm not a Jameis Winston guy at all for many reasons. But but I think like there's a non-zero chance Bruce Arians could do it. So well, the Bucks are bad to me just because their GM is horrible. But Arians might actually be able to make something work there. And if he does, I don't think it would be surprising to see him in this top ten list and even getting I don't know maybe potential head coach of the year buzz this season. So mm. uh, yeah, going into this activity, I didn't expect him to be in there. But lo and behold, he is my number 10. Okay. Um, I started off with, uh, we'll just do, I guess, do like three at a time here. I guess is what we're going to do. We'll yeah. just kind of work our way up. I, I got Matt, I have Matt Nagy as my number 10. I put Frank Reich at nine, and uh, I have John Harbaugh at number eight. So I think I'm, I'm kind of where you are um, with, with Harbaugh. I, I think Harbaugh does get underrated a little bit. He's had, but although he, he just hasn't, he has not had any weapons on offense these last few years, and I don't know. Why they continue to go into seasons without without much uh, talent on the offensive side of the ball? But I, I do like Harbaugh, so I have him at number eight. Got uh, Anthony Lynn at number seven, Pete Carroll at six, Andy Reid at five, and I'll stop there so that you can uh, you can go up to your uh, your number five guy. Yeah, so number seven, Sean McVay. I'm gonna put McVay Whoa. The Sporting News at Doug Peterson. Yeah, I think he has to prove it to me more. Yeah, You know, he's had some success, but he's choked in the big moments. Obviously, the biggest one of them all. And I want to see more. And I feel like everyone who I have above him, I have pretty good reason to have above Sean McVay. I know he's been the hot new thing lately, but I, I look back at the injuries. Like, that's such a big deal. The fact that he's had these healthy, super, super healthy rosters. And he still, even in spite of that, really hasn't achieved all that much. I'm putting Sean McVay down there. I want to see more from him. He could easily have a bright future and be a great coach in the future, but he's not quite that right now. So I'm putting him at number seven. Feel fine about that. Pete Carroll, I'm going to put number six. I would have him Pete Carroll higher, but I think back to the loss, the Seahawks loss to the Cowboys yeah. in the playoffs. Yeah. Where, like, he's just running the ball, even though it's clearly not working the whole not game. Not working. And, so, and I know he's not, like, the offensive guy, but ultimately he's the head coach, and, like, he has to fix that. Be like... And that's part of the thing. Like, it feels like Pete Carroll, he's antiquated a little bit. And now, despite that, I think he's still pretty good. And you obviously see the defensive results. And I think him as a head coach, like, 
The Seahawks have a lot of success. I think he's good, but I just I don't I can't put him into the top five anymore just because of like that antiquated way of thinking and wanting to build an offense. Like he's he's just not modern enough. And I think ultimately he's kind of holding that team back and preventing Russell Wilson and his potential to be maximized at this point. So I have him at number six. And number five, sneaking into the top five here, I have to put Frank Reich, man. I have to put That's, Frank Reich wow. in there. Good, I like I, that. I believe in the profile. You know, I think he's in the same mold as Doug, you know, and obviously having worked with Doug and being aggressive, like I feel good about betting on Frank Reich in the long term. You obviously saw how that Colts season, like that really picked up. They started rough, but they were like the hottest team, arguably, or one of them, heading into the playoffs. I feel good about the outlook there in Indy, and I feel good about Frank Reich. So number five for him. All right, so um, my top four then, uh, I have I put McVay at number four. Um, I didn't knock him down as far as you did, but I have I have McVeigh at number four, and I have uh, Doug Peterson. I did drop Doug Peterson one spot. I have Peterson at number three, one spot ahead of McVeigh, because I really do feel like Sean Payton is probably the second best head coach in in, in the NFL right now. He just he I mean, he's got Drew Brees, but he always finds a way to he always finds a way to keep that team in the mix. And uh, so I think uh, Sean Payton is number two, and of course Bill Belichick is number one. Your final four. So my final four, I actually have Doug at four. I feel like I can make a case for Doug at two. It's possible. But yeah. I felt like it would be way too homerish. And also, just because, you know, there were rough spots at times last year with the offense obviously taking a step mm-hmm. back and not looking good. And I think Doug deserves some blame for that. He's not perfect. But I still feel pretty good about him. And I have him at number four. You know, I, I couldn't put him over Sean Payton. Yeah. That was just a tough one. Obviously, having lost to Sean Payton twice last year, that's not the only reason. I just think Sean Payton you know, has done a pretty good job with the Saints recently, and I feel good about their outlook with him. So I don't love that because I don't love Sean Payton. Like I don't want to see Sean Payton succeed. Personally, uh, it is begrudgingly that I rank him over Doug Peterson, but I have to, unfortunately. Yeah. I may read at number two just because like, I know the postseason success isn't there. And some people will always be like, well, how could you rank Andy above Doug when Doug has the Super Bowl? And like, I get it. But Andy Reid's just so good in the regular season. Like, he really is. And part of the thing about winning a championship is it takes luck. And I think Andy Reid has been unlucky. He hasn't had that, like, streak of luck that, say, the New York Giants had twice. Oh, yeah. Both of their Super Bowls. And if Andy Reid can continue to be as good in the post in the regular season as he has, he's bound to luck into a title eventually, right? Like it's gonna happen eventually. You think? Even by luck, even like even if he doesn't deserve it that year, and he's actually like even worse than he has been in the playoffs. Like it, it's just gonna happen eventually. I feel like at the very least, you know, that chance will be there just because they're gonna be making the playoffs. We know that's gonna happen with Andy Reid. Yeah. I have to put him at number two. He's just so good in the regular season. And then number one is Belichick, obviously. I mean, how could you not have him there? Doug Peterson beat him, obviously, but the longevity mm. in coming off yeah. the Super Bowl. I mean, <laughs> he's the he, best. There's not really much of an argument. He's the best head coach of all time. There's there's no other way to put it. But I, I just to your point on Andy Reid being unlucky, I mean, the, the Chiefs stumbled where they lost Kareem Hunt for the season with the, uh, with the suspension and dealing with the Tyreek Hill situation. I mean, you can argue whether or not those players – should have been Chiefs to start the season or whether they should be now or whatever. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think those are fair arguments, fair arguments to have and, and, you know, whether or not they, they should have been members of the team to begin with. But they lost a huge part of their offense last year. And you can't say that that wouldn't have helped in the playoffs having Kareem Hunt at running back. But uh, at the end of the day, you're right. Reed just has not gotten the ball to bounce his way in the playoffs. So the last thing about coaches before we, uh, before we end the show here, BLG, who do you think is the worst head coach? in the NFL. And I, I let's not count the new hires 
the people who are having their first seasons this year, of existing head coaches, who, for you, is the worst? Yeah, it's Pat Shermer. Just because... Pat Shermer, yeah, it's him. Me too. Yep. <laughs> he's the least <laughs> least inspiring head coach to me, and I think that's, I guess, part of what makes... Like, he might even be okay schematically, and I don't know, probably not, but I just don't see how that guy could potentially be, like, a really good head coach. I don't... What is the pathway? What does that look like? To me, I don't see it. Whenever I was around Pat Shermer in Philly and I was at his press conferences, I could fall asleep. Like he would just say nothing. But even in a way that was just more like a lot of coaches say nothing. That's part of the game. But just, he does it in such a way that's just so like, boring and uninspiring and uninteresting. And I just I, I have a hard time believing that's the guy that your team is going to rally for when things get tough. Like I just I don't buy that at all. And the fact that Dave Gettleman and the Maris think highly of him tells you all you need to know about him possibly being a good coach. Not the best evaluators up there in New York or North Jersey. So, yeah, I think it has to be Shermer for me. Who else is in the conversation, I guess, for that? Would it be Gruden? Oh, that's a good, yeah, that's a good guy. Yeah, I think Gruden has to be in the conversation. I mean, we're talking John Gruden, not Jay, not yeah. Jay Gruden. No, yeah, uh, Jay Gruden's yeah. solid. I, I would put him firmly. I think Jay Gruden belongs, like, right in the middle of the league. I think he's, like, pretty, like, 16th out of 32. I think he's solid. It's a shame I can't give this award to, to Marvin Lewis anymore because uh-huh. he was always he was always one of my fa- favorite as 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 one of the worst in, in in football. I mean, for for all the for all the accolades and for the length of time he used to be there, he's just bad. He's just a bad head coach. I really wanted to see how many years he could go making the playoffs without a win. Like, I I just think that'd be so interesting. <laughs> like, like does he get to a point where he's like zero and twenty in the playoffs? Like, that would just be amazing. Yeah, I know, right? No, absolutely. So, but I agree with you. I think I think Pat Shermer is without a doubt uh, the the worst head coach in the NFL. And you know, I, there there's other guys that you could point to. I think you know, well, I mean, with Jason Garrett. How I mean, I guess you can't say Jason Garrett. He has had success. They won the division last year. I know we don't think much of him as a as as a head coach. I mean, there's uh, Bill O'Brien. I mentioned Bill O'Brien just a few minutes ago with the Texans. Uh, don't think he's got a particularly bright future ahead of him. So I mean, and then the rest of the guys, you know, Matt Patricia with the Lions. I mean, has he? Those guys don't quite have Adam Gase. I mean, those guys. I don't know if those guys have enough uh, experience as an NFL head coach to really call them the worst at the moment. So it's also certainly subjective. Wins and losses factor into it, but also scheme creativity uh you know how much playoff success you've had all that kind of stuff so anyway blg any final thoughts uh before we wrap up episode number 54 of the podcast not a ton uh just looking forward to the next ota practice which again is on tuesday the 28th so i assume i will have some more ota updates for you not only on com, but also on the podcast feed here with both you and michael kissed at various times next week so obviously Subscribe to the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed if you haven't to stay in tune with those updates coming up. So that'll be fun. Um, really, only six more offseason practices here before the Eagles ultimately wrap up their spring OTAs workout program. Enjoy them all you can because they will be gone before you know it. And then, dear God, what will we have to talk about? We'll we'll figure out some stuff to talk about during the offseason while there's uh, really not a whole lot else going on. But uh, as for now, that'll do it for episode number 54 of BGN Radio. Again, make sure that you're following Brandon on Twitter, at Brandon Gowton. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you all next time right here on BGN Radio. Been a little too nice to y'all. 
Now I got up price for y'all. Snake eyes on dice for y'all. Shoulders on ice for y'all. Frozen. A6 all the hate. I won't get involved today. Got lost in the ball and I'm flipping the balls and flipping the PGN.